Show us, show us, show 
Romans 1.12 says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, and I also want to be encouraged by yours. Turn to somebody this morning and say, I'm glad that I get to be encouraged by being here with you this morning. Oh, 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 oh,
God, as we take our offering this morning, Lord, would you help us continue to get this bigger picture, this better picture of who you are, this greater glimpse of a never-changing God. Would you help us as we uh, become a people and continue to be a people who change, to be more like Jesus, not on our own power, but by the power of your spirit, through the, through the uh, direction and guidance of your word. Because of your son, Jesus. Lord, we need you. We need you, God. Help us leave here different today than when we came in. So that we are more like your son. Lord, let that change continue to happen. Tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And this week and this month and for the rest of our lives, would you continue to mold us and shape us to be like Jesus. We give this morning to celebrate you joyfully, sacrificially for your glory, God. Amen.
Father, you have given us all we need for a life in godliness. You've given us your son. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us you. And Lord, we need all of those things. Help us today draw closer to you in your presence for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. It's good to uh, confess that together alongside you and just sing that we need the Lord. I want to read to you Psalm 73, uh, some of the verses here. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And it's good to confess that reality and that truth to our own hearts and alongside you uh, this morning. We want to pray for uh, students and teachers and educators and, and uh, pray for you this morning before school begins. Some of you might have already begun. Others of you might be beginning this week or heading off to college here in the next couple weeks. And so if you are a teacher, if you're a a coach, an administrator, if you're a student, no matter the age in here, uh, if you could raise your hand, if you could actually stand up, and we're just going to step into this awkwardness, and uh, we're going to, we want to have you stand up, and then everybody else stand up as well, and if you, there's somebody around you, lay your hand on them, and John Watts is going to come up and, and pray for you all. So let's uh, step into this, and let's seek the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us as a church to um, be present in the community. We thank you for every person in this room that is engaged in the school system, whether they're a student, an administrator, a teacher, a counselor, whatever their role is, God, you've placed them there, not by accident, but with a purpose. And we pray for them this year, God, that as they go, um, that you create opportunities for them to make disciples within the school systems here, God, that we would see um, your kingdom come in this community as it is in heaven, God, that we would, um, as, a, as a community, grow in our knowledge of you, that we would experience you in deeper ways, that um, students would have the courage to reach their friends. Lord God, that they would see that they are empowered by the Holy Spirit and that they are called to make disciples right where they are, that that is not something that they need to wait for, but God, it is something that you've asked them to do now. Lord God, give us an urgency as we go um, to do these things, to be on mission with you. Lord God, remind us how we can cooperate with your spirit in the process. Give us a sensitivity on when to uh, speak up and when to be quiet. Lord God, and help us to use wisdom in everything we do. Lord, we thank you for the um, sacrifice that it takes to be a teacher. God, we thank you for how um, teachers and administrators lay their lives down um, on behalf of students every year faithfully. And Lord God, we pray for them that they would um, get the opportunity to be thanked by somebody. Lord God, that as they um, do their role, as, they, as they're in their role this year, that you would send a student to encourage them, that you would send a friend to encourage them, that you would send their spouse to encourage them, that they would be encouraged in their calling to make disciples and to be a light. Um, in this world, in the school systems here in Eureka and in the Roanoke and just this, this general area in central Illinois, God, we thank you um, for the opportunities that you give us to be in the community. We thank you for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. 
uh, first impression volunteers, if you guys want to grab these connection cards back in the back and uh, begin to hand those down the rows. This is something we, begun, we began uh, last week, and so this is kind of new to us as a church, but what I've loved uh, last week was the opportunity to, to read 30, 35 op- prayer requests, opportunities to pray for people in the body and pray for them throughout the week and just be aware of things that they are facing, uh, and as well as celebrating. One, one was uh, clean and sober for 68 days. That's, that's worthy of celebrating and praising God for his power and victory in someone's life. And so uh, this is an opportunity for you to, uh, as a household, kind of complete this card, tear it off, and then slide it into the pocket uh, next to that, and then pass it down to the next household. Basically, we're, we're looking for you to, if you're a regular attender, if you're a member, if you have updated info, you can do that. Otherwise, just kind of mark your name down so we know that you're here. If you're a first-time guest with us, that gray box is there for you to kind of make yourself known so we can keep you in the know of what's happening around here. Prayer requests are at the bottom. And then next steps, a uh, couple I want to point out to you. One is Discover Crosspoint is going to be happening uh, throughout the fall. If you're uh, ready to take that step of membership, we can, uh, you can mark that. Community groups will be launching here in the next few weeks. So you can check that and we'll follow up and try to connect you to a group, as well as there's one called Attending First Connections, and that's a lunch that we're hosting this next Sunday. If you're new to Crosspoint over the past several weeks or months or today's maybe your first day, that's a chance for you to to have lunch afterwards. If you have kids, have your kids watched, and an opportunity for us to uh, share a little bit about the church, for you to meet other leaders and other people around Crosspoint and kind of take a first step toward uh, connection to the church. All right, so fill that out. Last person in the row, you can just slide that underneath the chair, and we'll pick those up after the service. We're excited this morning to have Jeff and Angie Hegstrom with us this morning to uh, one of our missionaries, our first lead pastor for the first five and a half years for us as a church. So you guys want to come up, and we're excited to hear and uh, have him preach for us. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Hey, it's great to be back at uh, Cross Point. Good morning, Cross Point. Man, this is awesome. Angie's going to um, take a few minutes just to uh, introduce somebody that you know well that we had a great time this summer with, so I'll let you take it. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask Anna Williamson to come up. This summer, um, we actually had a smaller summer with teams, which was actually um, a godsend, and we had two interns, um, and they're both here today. We had Macy Glatz, who's uh, visiting with us today, and then Anna was here, and we had a great time for the first couple weeks. We hosted them in our home, did training, um, did things in the community, and just really had opportunity to speak into their lives, but not only did they, did we speak into their lives, they spoke into our lives, and they made an impact in our lives, and so we asked Anna to share um, what God did for her this summer. Take it away, girl. Okay. Hi, guys. Um, so as Angie said, I was an intern for RM during the month of June, and I think that I can fairly speak for myself and for my fellow intern, Macy Glatz, when I say that the month of June was probably one of the best uh, summer months that I've ever had in my life. Um, unless Jesus ends up coming back in the month of June sometime, I think that that will probably stay the best um, month of June ever. So, um, but as far as what we actually did when we were down there, the first two weeks, like Angie was saying, we spent doing training um, at the Hegstrom's house. We woke up 
at 8 o'clock each morning. It was basically like school. It was great. Um, and <laughs> we, we like read articles and we did a lot of introspective stuff doing like personal assessment things um, like about how we respond to conflict, how we should respond to conflict, and uh, spiritual gifts tests and stuff like that. And then the next two weeks, um, we had teams that came down, one church team for each week. And um, we as the interns were in charge of several different things during those weeks. But one of them was each morning we started off with a team builder, which is just kind of like a game that we played with them to build team unity. And um, for one of the teams, a lot of the members had never met each other. So we were kind of helping them get to know each other and stuff like that. And it was really cool to be able to spend time with the team like that each morning. Um, but before we began the game, we would always go over the difference between the task that they were trying to complete and then the goal of the game. And the task was to actually untangle yourself from the knot or complete the relay or whatever. But then the goal was to work together as a team. And as I kind of went through the weeks uh, down there, I kind of, that was my biggest takeaway, um, was seeing the difference between the tasks that we have in life and then the goal that we should have. And how, for me, as a person um, who really likes to take charge, and I've been up here saying that a lot of times over the years, but I really like to take charge, I like to have a plan, um, and that's all fine and good, but then the goal is what I need to focus on, the goal of spreading God's word, the goal of shining his light and giving him the glory. And um, we actually had a um, lady who lives down in Mississippi. Her name was Mighty, and she is Vietnamese, and um, she lives right next to the RM Center. And they've been kind of ministering to her um, for the past year or so. And uh, she came down to the RM Center one night and had dinner with us. And the pastor who was there that week um, was talking to her and stuff. And at the end of dinner, his team went out and was, like, having a discussion time. And that's normally something that he would go out there and participate in because usually that's what the youth group leader should do. But instead, he was focused on the goal. And he sat and talked with my team for, like, an hour and a half, and she ended up accepting Christ. And it was so awesome to be able to be there for that, to be able to see this man who knew the task that he was supposed to do, which was a good task. He was supposed to be, you know, pouring into his, uh, the youth that he was down there with, but he chose instead to follow the goal and um, to be able to listen to what God wanted him to do instead of what he was just supposed to do. And um, he was able to win a, win a soul for Christ, and it was really awesome. So, um, yeah. That's pretty much it. I just wanted to share with you guys the, the cool thing that I learned. That's all. There Thank you go. You. I don't want to want this. I just want to say what a, what a privilege to have these two ladies down uh, as, as an intern. Am I on again? What a, what a privilege it was to have these two ladies down in the month of June. And they were dynamic. Is that, is that better? Okay. All right. They were dynamic. They really were. And uh, we saw Anna go from, she's a doer. She's a taskless person, you know, but to relationships. 
and focusing on relationships. And she didn't tell you that she got to go to a medical clinic and serve and the impact of that. Uh, you should have seen her uh, in team building and just the, she was so great at asking the right questions, you know, and to open up the doors. And it was just incredible. And uh, Thursday night, we're going to be over at New Life doing an open house with uh, Nate and Ruth Ryder. Uh, you, you know those guys, but they're going to have an open house over there. We're going to be part of that in the Glicks also. And uh, so you can come over there and you'll hear Macy uh, share on Thursday night. But what a privilege it was. And, and uh, you got to see that picture. Let's just stay right there. I don't want to move any further on that. Thank you uh, for putting that up. But she took my whole message, uh, Anna did, so I, we can pray and be dismissed and have a great dinner at Cracker Barrel or something. My T, I want to tell you about her story a little bit more. And My T, we met My T originally in um, a year ago, pretty much this week. At RM, we do a weekend or a Saturday or sometimes a Friday, Saturday with men uh, about discipleship. And it happens every like three months. And through that, we go, we do building of, uh, we talk about relationships, that ministry that it's relevant is relational, and then it's responsive, and then it reveals the glory of God. And we were on this responsive one, and uh, we had been set up, Jesse, who's new, newer on staff, and he and his wife, that he uh, set up a, an appointment with my T to serve her. And uh, my T... Um, they, him and his sister and his family had built my T and her husband and their son a house after Katrina. And, uh, and we didn't know them. I had seen that house go up on Church Street, the, our street, uh, through uh, while they were building it. But I, didn't, I thought, man, that's really deco or artsy. The roof line's crooked. And I thought, man, either they missed it or it's supposed to be artsy. But it was supposed to be artsy, okay? But my T... We met her a, a year ago um, doing, um, uh, working on some stairs and stuff for her. And as we met her, you see the picture of her. And uh, she just had such great grief and sorrow. And she told the story of her life of that grief and so sorrow. She already expressed tragedy that, that um, while her family was in Vietnam, they were backing out of, with their boats, and people were trying to get out of Vietnam at the time. And they jumped on the boat, a lot of people, and the boat sank, and her whole family drowned. At, at nine, when she got married, she had a, a baby daughter, and at nine months old, the baby passed away. Already great tragedy. Well, Katrina came and, and gone. Uh, this family built them a house, and it was in um, 2014, uh, uh, Christmas, uh, December, that her husband got cancer and he passed away. That following February, her son was in a, her 35-year-old son was in an accident and perished and passed away. She's left with no income, hopeless, feeling hopeless, tried to end her life several times. She um, cremated her husband, and she kept the ashes in her home. And all of her friends would not come in her home because they were afraid of the spirits that might be attached to those ashes. Even they loaned her a suitcase to take uh, to Vietnam, and she said, I don't want it back because I don't want what might be on it when it's done. 
She ended up taking her husband's ashes uh, just in this last year back to Vietnam uh, to honor him and to honor her husband's family. And when in, in that culture, when um, there's death of the husband, you are no longer a relative of it, even the in-laws. They don't accept you anymore. So she is without family. And, um, and here's what my T said over and over. Not only did we um, minister that time, but uh, Macy and the New Life team came down in November of last year. And we had an opportunity to minister her inside and outside her house and pray with her. And, 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 you know, she, and the thing is, is this, that she cried out, she wept, she, she was in such hopelessness. And she said this, uh, she said, why? Why would any God do this to me? Why would he take my husband, my best friend? Why would he take my son? Why did he take my baby daughter? Why did he take my entire family? And why has he given me this great burden to carry on my shoulders? And I, if you just hear her voice, and she speaks in this, this broken Vietnamese, or English, but she's really good at Vietnamese. She says, I am weak woman. I am a woman, and I know how to do nothing. And your heart breaks. It really does. Those questions are real. And my, my tea, she, she asks me every time we see her, that she said, asks those same questions, confused and hopeless and wondering, how, why is this in my life? But those questions that she is asking is real. And it reminds me so much of the same foundational questions that Solomon posed in the book of Ecclesiastes that led us to wrestle and grapple with this, the meaning and the purpose and the value of life. Questions we may never even thought of. And I want to look at some of those this morning. Some of those are this. Does life, does my life have meaning? Why am I here? What uh, does what I do in life my actions, my job, the th- what I do, does it really matter? Or is it a waste? Is there justice for all the wrong things that are going on around the world today? And what about all those things that are going into my life? Will anything satisfy that ache and that longing that I have and I feel in the deepest level of my heart? Those are real questions, aren't they? We've asked them at times. We hear people asking them. And these questions and more come rushing at us as we read through the pages of the book of Ecclesiastes. And in it, Solomon's goal was to show us that everything that we do and all that we look to on this earth for worth and for value, things like pleasure and wealth and possessions and fame and power and success, they're all useless And they're all meaningless if this life is all there is. We've got to look up from our Bibles. And we've got to look up from our Sunday routines and into our world. And you're going to see right in front of you your friends. You're going to see coworkers. You're going to see people that you interact with every day. I'm going to tell you, I get to go around and do a lot of research. I get to go around and meet a lot of people, pastors, business owners, all kinds. And I, I even go into Hobby Lobby and Walmart and I see opportunity to share Christ. 
I see people asking the same questions over and over about what, what's life all about? Why is there so much pain and, and suffering? We've been in Hobby Lobby, and the cashier lady, she breaks down and weeps, and Angie gets to minister to her. I've been in the, a plumbing shop and get to see uh, men asking questions and telling their story. It's amazing that everybody has a story, don't they? And they, they're looking for an opportunity to share that story. But if we look up from our Bibles, we look outside the church walls and in our routine, we can see that there's, there's people everywhere that are asking those same questions, just like my tea, and living out the reality of Ecclesiastes. We see a world that has never been more connected, more entertained, and more living in comfort. And yet, people are never more isolated and more bored with life and even more depressed. And this morning, we want to take a few minutes to address three of these questions. And the first one, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes 1. Now, I know you might be used to PowerPoints. My computer doesn't have PowerPoint, okay? And so I couldn't even make a PowerPoint this morning. So if you have a Bible or if you use a uh, device like a phone or iPad, grab that out and turn, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Will you follow along with me? It says, In the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and, and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place the streams come from. There they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. And the eye never has enough of seeing, or the ear is, is fill, it's fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. If there's anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Many of this morning, as we look at that chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, you might be saying, hey, you know what? This is the Bible, isn't it? And I don't even think I heard one mention of God in those verses, right? But the fact is that Solomon left out, left God out of the picture on purpose to show us of a picture of a life without God. When God is not the center of our lives, we have to come to understand that life is truly, it's ineffective and it is meaningless without God. All that you do and all that you achieve, all that you gain in this life is nothing unless God is the greatest reality of your life. He's the one that puts meaning in it. And all of those possessions we work so hard to get, to attain, the reality is that they're going to grow old, right? They quick, they're going to quickly become outdated. 
They're going to rust. They're going to break. They're going to fall apart. And what do we do with them? We trade them in or we throw them away, right? Now, in July, I just turned 50, okay? I'm blown, I, I still remember celebrating 40 here with uh, Crosspoint. And that was an awesome time. And Pastor Dave just turned 40, right? Is that out? Okay, all right. Sorry. Okay, but our young bodies, Dave and I, you know, that, once, that we once had, we could pretty much keep up and compete with the best. Now, Pastor Dave still has it, okay? But at least for me, this body's not getting any younger. And the, the more vigorous activity I do, the longer it takes it to recover. And when I have a week long or a summer long of interns and, uh, and teams, it takes me quite a while to recover because it's tough. This body wastes away, right? And the things that we possess, the things that we gain, this, this building will eventually rust and fall apart. They'll tear it down and build something else, right? Our houses, the things that we own, they're going to waste away. But when God is the center of our lives as king, all of life is filled with meaning and purpose. All that we do really matters then. And Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not yourself, but the work of God knowing that the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, without God, everything we do, all that we attain, is in vain. But with God, everything that we do has meaning and it has purpose. That answers the question and attempts to, does life have meaning? Let's look at the second one. It says this, is there justice and goodness in the world? And turn just uh, the two more chapters over in Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. At 50, my eyes are really going bad, okay? So I get new glasses this next week, hopefully. So now i got to find it. All right, here we go. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. He says that again. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time, every activity, a time for every deed. And then look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And it says again, I look and I saw the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressor, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead, who had already died, are happier than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he that has not yet been, who has not yet seen evil, and that is that is done under the sun. And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless in chasing after the wind.
watch the news for five minutes, and we each have to face the fact that the world is not as it should be, right? The curse of sin has fractured and ruptured what God has made good and beautiful. And the result is pain and poverty and suffering, oppression, and even death. And Solomon went as far in his observation to say that those who have already died are more fortunate than the living, or better still, not to have ever been born. That's pretty rough, isn't it, to say those words? And that sounds so extreme, but Solomon is trying to get to the point across that we live in a fallen and broken world, and we should not expect anything less than pain, poverty and suffering and oppression and death when we try to live our lives on our own without and apart from God. All of us long, don't we, for peace in our lives and in the world and for restoration. And Solomon's only comfort was found in the idea that God in his time will judge the actions and motives of the righteous and the wicked. But we can find even greater comfort and hope in knowing that what Solomon did not know. And the gospel tells us this. As we all have a story, the greater story is God's story. The account of Jesus. That God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem the world that the world may be saved. And Jesus Christ was born. He lived a sinless life among us. And out of love and obedience, Jesus willingly surrendered his life on the cross unto death. He died to pay the, the penalty for our sin. And it doesn't end there, church. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. So why did he do this? So that we could be set free from the curse and the bondage of sin and enter into an eternal, life-transforming, growing, growing relationship with the Most High God through Jesus Christ. As God's Word goes on to tell us that just as He raised Jesus from the dead, He will raise us up too. And on that day, He will wipe away every tear. He will set things right. He will make all things new. And He will make a new heaven and earth. And he will put an end to sin, to Satan, and death. God will act on our behalf. And that's the hope, isn't it? God will bring about the glory of his righteousness and justice. And in the meantime, you and I are to hold on to the words of the Spirit given to, to us in 1 Peter 5. It says this, that after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion, the sovereign authority forever and ever Amen. Is there justice and goodness in the world? There is through Jesus Christ. And He wants to move on our behalf. And that's our hope. So the third thing we want to look at real quick is, what are we on earth for? And this is probably the, one of the greatest questions, isn't it? 
I hear young people all the time ask, I don't even know what I'm here for. I don't know what God has for me. It, as an adult, there are times that, that we go, am I doing the right thing, you know? I'm not sure what God has for me. What's the next step? What, what does he have for me? Why am I here? Of all the questions that come out of the book of Ecclesiastes, this one seems to be the most important. What, what are we on the earth for? And Solomon concluded by warning us that we're going to get a lot of advice in this world. We're going to hear it from all angles. We're going to hear it from a lot of voices of how to live and what's right. And of all the other voices we hear in the world, only one matters. In Ecclesiastes 12, turn with me there. We're going to look at verse 9 through 14. It says, not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. He goes to say this, the words of the wise are like goats. They're collection sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. I want to stop there for a minute. When I was reading that, I was like, what is a goad? How many of you know what a goad is? All right, so a couple of you, okay? Well, I thought I better check it out. So what I did was I, I went out and got a goad, a stick, okay? And it's not just a stick, but it has a point on it. And on the point, what it's for is for to get the oxen motivated. They may swat them. They may take the point and they poke them. You know, but it's to guide them and to poke them. And what a great illustration that to prick our hearts. Truth pricks our hearts. And we know when it's real. We know when it's true because it brings transformation. It brings conviction. It brings motivation. It brings even transformation and action in our lives. And I thought that was fascinating. I looked up what they look like, and some of them are pointy, and they have a hook on them, the ones that are made of iron and stuff. But many of them, it's just grabbing a stick, you know, and be able to guide the oxen to spur them on toward greater things. I love that. What a powerful illustration. But one other illustration that it says in here is this. They're like firmly embedded nails. And think about nails, you know, that to hammer in a nail into the wood. You know, when you hammer it in good, yeah, there's times you can put and hang your hat on it, right? You can hang your coat on it and stuff. But to think about putting things together, you're going to nail it in, firmly nail it in, and it's going to be stuck together. And it's something you're not going to be able to pull apart. You can hang on it. You can bank on it because it's going to be firm. And that's what God's Word is. That's what truth is spoken in our lives. It guides us. It pricks our heart. It, it initiates change and transformation. And it's something that we can count on and hang on and trust because it's solid. It's foundational. And it says this 
Be warned, my son, in anything, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. The world is, the world is constantly attempting to answer that very question of what are we here for on earth? We see attempts daily in the news, in articles, in political campaigns, right? In social media, in websites, in movies, in TV shows, in advertising, in talk shows. Those things are trying to guide how we should think, how we should act, how we should feel, what we should accept in our lives. The list goes on and on of people trying to give us advice and counsel on how to live. But unless they conclude that we were made for God and to obey His word, His commandments, and, and to follow and, uh, and walk with His purposes in mind, that they are wrong and they must and need to be rejected in our lives. Because it's about, life is about God. We were made for God's purposes and for His glory and to reveal Him and to walk faithfully with Him. Deep down inside of every human is a longing and a knowledge that we were made for God. No matter who you are, I want you to think about before you came to Christ. Maybe you're not there today. Maybe you don't know Christ. But there's this longing inside you that I know there's more to life. Remember those times? You go, I know that there's more to this life. I know I was created and made for something much more to, than this. Listen to the words of, of an atheist philosopher. His name is Bertrand Russell. And I did a little research on him. And it was really incredible. He lived to be 97. And most of those years, he was in politics, a uh, 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 Nobel Peace Prize winner. Uh, just, but he was an uh, atheist philosopher. But I want you to listen to these words. He says, The center of me is always and eternally in terrible pain a curious wild pain, a searching for something beyond what the world contained, something transfigured and infinite, the beatific vision, God. But I do not find it. I do not think it is to be found, but the love of it is, is my life. It's like a passionate love for a ghost. At times it fills me with rage, at times with wild despair, it is the source of gentleness and cruelty and work. It fills every passion I have. It is the actual spring of life within me. Those are amazing words, aren't they? Even a man who refused to acknowledge that God exists felt this overwhelming longing to know God and enjoy Him. Why is that? Romans 1 reminds us that we, all people, possess the knowledge of God. And the problem is not that we lack truth and knowledge, right? It's that we suppress it. We do away with it and even hide the truth so we don't have to make a choice 
to live by it. We know it's there, but do I really want to live that way? I, I really want to do it my way. To live our lives, you know, we don't want to live our lives for God and His purposes. Instead, we look inward. And for some reason, we try to do life our own way and always end up missing the mark. You know, I've heard many testimonies and, and uh, you know, one-on-one and, and, and in groups and stuff, but the one-on-ones, um, it, it's, people say, you know, I, I really tried to, to live life on my own. And one of the questions I ask them, well, how'd that go? You know, not good. I was hopeless and I was in despair, you know. But we try to live our lives on our own, and we always end up missing the mark. We miss out on God's best. We miss out on His will for us. Because God has an incredible plan for our lives to have complete fulfillment. Isn't that incredible? God wants you and I to have complete fulfillment in Him. He wants us to experience peace and His purpose through knowing Him and walking in His ways. Romans 1.22 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile. And futile means this, ineffective, useless, worthless, and even broken in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That seems, that seems so unreal that someone would know about God and then reject Him and walk away in the attempts to create their own pathway to joy and meaning. But the truth is, people shun God every day. Sometimes we even repress and push down the truth, don't we? Because we're not sure we want to go that direction. We're not sure we want to follow what God really has for us and what He's asked us to do. Do we really want to be a people of action? Or I just want to think about it, you know. And, uh, and, but I don't really want to do those things. People shun God every day, refusing to act on the truth that they know deep down in their, their spirits and their souls. And as a result, people experience... The, that loneliness and that brokenness and the unfulfilled life because they've missed the mark. And they're in it. They have this heavy burden. They feel stuck and lost and hopeless. But today, I want to share with you some incredible news. And I want to deeply challenge you as a church today. As Christians, you and I have a tremendous opportunity and i'm not going to go beyond opportunity to responsibility to offer hope to this world as believers we know why we're here don't we amen we know why we're here we know why we were put on this earth we know the path to ultimate meaning and purpose it's through jesus christ we have a living savior who came to give us abundant life and overflowing joy. John 10, 10 says, The thief comes only, listen, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life, a life that's abundant and to its fullest. Isn't that incredible? I know you know this stuff. 
But are you believing it inside? Are you living that out, that joy and what God has done for you, living life to the fullness? In, in chapter 15 of John, in verse 11, it says, I have told you this, what I just said. I've told you this, that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Isn't that awesome? He came to give us life. What Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, he came to give us life. We have the greatest message as believers. We know where our hope comes from. And as believers, we don't simply offer the world some great idea or some information or some feelings or philosophies. We offer the world the opportunity to have a relationship with the person of God through Jesus Christ. The God who created them loves them so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take on and pay the penalty for our sins, who conquered death in the grave when Jesus rose from the dead, and he promises to be with you for eternity if you will believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and receive the gift of forgiveness and adoption. Amen? That's what God has done for us to give us eternal hope, church, we have, and we have the opportunity to offer a living hope. The living water, the living bread of life, and the reigning King and Savior of the world. And His name is Jesus Christ. And Crosspoint, each one of you is the church. Each one of you. I am not saying anything new here. John, you prayed the prayer this morning, praying for teachers and education. The language is so right on. And the heart of this church is discipleship and to, to share Christ. Man, each one of you is the church, and God has called each one of you to be a discipler, to, to go make disciples. And you know, so many times when the Great Commission, we see what? Someone help me with what it says. It says what? Go and what? Make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? We focus on the go part, you know? Go, go to Mississippi. Go, go, go. But the whole action point in there is make disciples. That's what... God put us here for. That's why he's transformed your life. Not so that you can have just the joy and ah, I'm done. I've done it. I've received Jesus Christ. No, so that you can go make disciples. Every one of you. The Great Commission is for every one of us. You're going, I, I know that. How do I do that? We have the greatest news ever. And daily uh, a daily walk with people God has placed in your lives is how you do that. Wherever a person is in the process of discipleship. One of the greatest things and revelations that, that I've had this, probably this past year, and we've, we've done this as a, a, a ministry, as talking is like, where does discipleship begin? 
does it become like we have a church service and we're going to have an altar call and you come up and you become a disciple and, and, and that's when we start discipling people? Where does it start? And could I get four volunteers really fast? Just really fast. Just jump up. Four. It could be you four. Any, just any four. Come on. Would you do that? One, two. Will you just hang on to this rope? Two more. Two more. Two more. Come on. Two more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Hang on to that rope anywhere you want to, okay? And just stand in a straight line. I'm going to give you a piece of paper, too. So you've got to be multi Stand facing out. Can you hold that too? Thank you. Come down here. Oh, okay. Or wherever you want, okay? Wherever you want. That's good. Awesome. I want you to think of these guys as a timeline. I didn't have to have a rope. I could just give them these signs and stuff. But I want you to think, sometimes we get a better picture seeing a timeline with a rope, you know? Thinking that this is a life of somebody, Okay. And there's places in people's lives that people are in the process of discipleship and evangelism. And there's some people with no interest at all. You talk to them and they're like, whatever, I don't want to hear that kind of stuff, you know. And, and then there's people that, that they're curious, you know, well, I don't really get what all that's about, you know. And, you know, and, uh, you know, the give or take, you know, but they're, they're a little bit interested there's people that are really looking for answers, you know, that they're in a place in their life and, and that, man, I, you know, I don't get why this stuff's happening. I'm really growing through some struggles and whether it's financial or just emotional or just some relationship things, you know, that I'm, I'm looking for some answers and there's somebody that's ready to commit. And, you know, I want you to think about people in your life. Think about, put somebody in your mind that you have a relationship with now. And where are they on this, this timeline? How do I minister to these people? I want to look at a person with no interest. And they say this, that, yeah, it's good for you, but it's not for me. What can I do to be a discipler in that process? You be a friend. You don't judge them and say, oh, man, you, you're going to hell, you know, because you don't want to know Jesus. I gave you a track, and you didn't even, you rejected it. No, you be a friend. What's a friend do? They go hang out together, you know? You love them right where they're at. I've, I've been to places and met people that they have the worst lifestyles, but I've had an opportunity just to be a friend. I've got a guy that's a coffee roaster right now that I, I built a friendship over the last year and a half or so, and I've invited him to our church coffee shop. He came once, you know, but he's not a believer. But I love it because it's an opportunity just to build a friendship. I hear cuss words and I hear all kinds of things, but I'm a friend. And I, when I see him, he knows I'm a friend. And I love talking to him. There's several people like that that God has put in my life. Now, there's somebody else that they, they are the curious. And they go, I don't really see a need. So how can I minister to somebody that says they're kind of curious, but, you know, not really give or take it? Be a light. Let your light shine before men that they could see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. 
Now, I hope, I hope this morning your mind's being blown a little bit. Because usually we go, we got to get him to church and get Dave to save him. You know, and then we can walk with him a little bit. No, you are discipling right here. You're getting to them to that place. You're planting seeds, cultivating the soil, and getting things going. And, you know, and God's using you to prepare their heart for receiving him, becoming a child of God. I love it. So you can let your light shine. How will they know unless we tell them? How can they know the good news unless we begin to share and let our light shine? You don't have to preach to them. You let your light shine with your integrity, being on time, you know, hanging out and doing the right thing, at the, you know, and being an example. The third one is that person looking for answers. That person saying, man, there's got to be way more to life than this. I'm really struggling. And, you know, you're building this relationship along. And, and, uh, and this, this person saying, I'm really struggling, you know. And, and so what do I do? And this is a point that you can share your story. God's given you a particular story. Everyone's different. I loved hearing Anna's. I loved hearing Macy's. I've, I've loved hearing so many stories of just what God's done in your lives. But you have a story that God's given you particularly. It's not like anybody else's. And that you can share pieces of it and parts of it. It doesn't mean you have to go and give a half-hour story, but there's a piece of it that you can say, you know what, I've been there, or I haven't been there, but I want to give you something. I want to I share something with you. And that's where that we can proclaim God. How can they believe unless we tell them to share with them the hope and the reason that Jesus came? Then there's that fourth person that you're going to have those people in your life, too, that God's going to bring you. You know what? I spend a lot of time here. This is my, my gift that God's given me. I'm a door opener. I, I love to just get into people's lives initially. And I love this part. I want more of this. I pray for more of it. And I see this, but not as much as I do that God's made me a seed planter. God's made me in these beginning stages, door openers, you know, for the kingdom. But this person that's ready to commit, they're ready to say, Jesus Christ uh, is Lord, and I repent of my sins and receive Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They will. It's for everyone, every nation, every person. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, this is the point where they are, it's their turn to go make disciples. You know, discipleship is a process. And I want you to think of these guys that have come up here. I want you to think about relationships. God has given you every part of these relationships. But you may begin with somebody that's not interested. But it's about walking with them. And when they become a disciple, then you begin walking with them even more spiritually and walking with them and teaching them, what, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? So you're getting into the Word and you're, you're teaching them and walking them and, and helping them walk out their lives and challenging them to do what has been done for them to make disciples. Hey, let's give these guys a hand real quick.
as I think about discipleship, as I think about what we're talking about, all these questions, I can't help but I want you to put up the next picture of my tea. There's spiritual transformation in my tea. It's been a year that we've had the opportunity to know her and walk with her. And as Anna shared, I, she preached it, man. She preached it. But in Ju- the end of June, June 27th, that she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And you go, my tea, where's, where's Jesus now? Inside my heart. You know, we went over to her house uh, in July, Brad, Brad and I, and uh, her house got struck by lightning, and uh, we replaced some all the plugs in her house and fixed her dishwasher and, uh, and got her um, Vietnamese Roku um, Hillsong worship and preaching. It was awesome because these songs came on in Vietnamese, and I knew them, and so I started singing them, and she goes, you know those songs? I went, yes. So I was singing them in English, and, and she was going, oh, it says this. And I said, yeah, I know. I don't know Vietnamese, but I wish. It's been incredible. And one other thing, I, I tell you, we had the opportunity. Um, uh, one of our board members has, uh, is over a network of churches, and he's, he's retired since, but he, he's still, it's called the Good News Fellowship. And uh, they had one of the Vietnamese pastors in Baila Batre in Alabama come over, and, uh, and we got to meet with him. We had dinner with, um, uh, his name is T, and his wife's Han, and, uh, and we had um, dinner with them, and then we went over my teas. And uh, I wanted my tea to be able to share her story in Vietnamese with Vietnamese people. I thought, what a great opportunity, you know, and Angie and I. And we had the best time. Angie understood part of it. <laughs> I don't know how, you know, but she, she goes, Angie, you know what I'm talking about? And she goes, mm-hmm, I do. You know, I don't know what you're saying, but they spoke in Vietnamese the whole time. But I sat and I weeped. I weeped. I said, God, what, what, where else? I feel like I'm in Vietnam. Where else can I experience missions like this? I'm in America. Yet we get to work with the Griffin of people. We get to work with the Vietnamese. We get to work with different cultures. And as they speak their own language, and I was just weep thinking, God, thank you for your calling. Thank you for what you're doing in my T's life and the connections and the relationships that are happening right now. We could have been hopeless for her because she's had so much tragedy in her life. But to walk with her and love her where she's at. And she came to know Christ. And we're going to be, when we get back, our, we've already made plans. We don't have the date set, but we're going to be going over to Hans, Han, T and Hans over in Baila Labatre to have dinner with them with my, my T. We call her my, uh, my T. And then, um, and then this, this pastor's wife is going to have a baby, and we're going to go back and visit her for the baby. And she goes, oh, I'll make your baby so sad, though. You know, no, you have Christ now. You have hope and joy and life. And so it's walking with her and seeing the difference. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Colossians not to look at anything besides Jesus Christ for ultimate meaning in life. Church, we have the hope within us.
Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 8 and 10 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through deceit, deceptive philosophy and empty deceit, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spirits of this world. You know what that elemental spirits is? It's emotions. Sometimes we get take captive by emotions. And you know, like anger, hatred, jealousy, those things. And that's what that's talking about. Don't get emotional that way and get get deceived and by tradition and and those elemental spirits of the world but rather on christ for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have been filled with him church who is the head of all rule and authority only in christ does the fullness of god dwell and only in christ do all other idols so-called gods and sin lose its power and appeal Only in Christ do we discover why we're here. We discover what we have been searching for in pleasure and approval, power, and even comfort is actually only found in Christ Jesus. He is enough. How are you challenged today? I want to take just a few minutes, and I want to encourage you this way. I would love to just focus on discipleship, but I want to say this, that maybe you're here today and you're going, you know what? I'm not seeing growth in my own life. I, I, I've been through some of that hopeless stuff. I'm there now, and I, I'm looking for hope. Can I just say Jesus is your hope? He really is. And you've got a church here that wants to walk with you through life. Maybe you're saying that, you're sitting in the seat and saying, you know, I I haven't grown in a long time. I've I've been kind of stale and stagnant. I've been kind of punching the time clock Sunday morning. I maybe go to a small group once in a while. I'm really at a, a stagnant place. God wants to give you a next step. He wants you to grow. He wants you to take that step of obedience. There's... Others of you this morning that go, discipleship. <laughs> I didn't think that was my job. I thought it was Pastor Dave and Eric and John's. No, it's your job. It's your calling. And sometimes we just get to that place in life that we dream, we think about, oh, what, what if I could grow? What if, what if I could make a disciple? I don't know if I could do that. And we think about it and we dream and it ends. That's a dream. That's just dreaming, isn't it? We can all dream of something up. But God has something more for you. He wants you to put action to it. And this morning when I was praying, I didn't have this down yet. But the word God said was action. It's time for action, church. Not to be dreaming about it and thinking about it, but to let's put our feet to it. Faith without works is dead. Faith and believing is an action word. It's not a passive word. It's action. And so, um, we're not saved by our actions, but we act on as a result of it. And uh, I want you to think this morning, where are you? Where are you in this process? 
We just did those four things. Maybe you're before, you know, knowing Christ. Maybe you're going, I want to be a discipler, but I don't know how. It's time to put action. And I want you to think these three questions through. Where are you in this process? What is my, the next step that I will take? What step could I take to grow? And then what will that look like? T- Church, today, God is calling us to action. Not just to go, that was a good message, or maybe that was a little heavy message, I don't know. <laughs> Might have been. But what's God saying? What is the action step for you today? And this morning, I want to pray for you. And Pastor Dave, maybe you want to, Eric, John, maybe you want to come up, and maybe the elders do, you know, uh, to pray for anybody. But I want to ask, what action is God asking you to take? You could sit there, and I could say passively, think about that and go home and put it into practice. But I'm going to ask you to do this. If God's put an action on your heart, I'm going to ask you to stand. Because we can think all we want, but you'll never change until you take action and trust God. Not in what you can do, but what God can do. Has God given you an action? I'm going to ask you to stand. Thank you. Thank you. You're not doing it for me. You're doing it for God. God, I'm ready to take action. I'm ready to move forward. And just because you're sitting doesn't mean you're not willing. That's not what I'm saying. There's no judgment. But if God's asking you to take action, it's going to begin by taking action. And this is a declaration of what God's saying. You've obeyed. Now I can work in you. Let's pray. Just stay standing, please. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. God, thank you that your word is like like that goad that pricks our heart, that moves us forward. Lord, and we need that. That is truth. And that truth, we want to transform us and to change us. And that, God, that we would not be people just that dreams and has good ideas, that we want to make disciples of all nations, but yet we want to sit in our seat and be comfortable. But, God, you've called us to walk with others, to take next steps to grow. And it's not about performance. It's not about um, deeds that we do. But, God, it's, it's putting our faith and our belief in you to live that out and walk it out in actions. And Lord, and I want to pray, God, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I thank you for those that stood up this morning. Lord, I'm grateful for everyone in this room. But Lord, there's a people here that desire for a next step, for change, for action to be in their lives. And I pray that out of the faith that they stood up in, that God, that you would move in their lives that you'd pour out your spirit of them in a new way, that your wisdom and your revelation would fill them with the hope of your son, Jesus Christ, 
and that, Lord, that they would see clearly what you want them to do, and without fear and in faith that they would move forward in the things that you've called them to, to greater things that they could ever ask or imagine. Lord, when we think of that verse that you said, that greater things will you do because I go to the Father, we're like, God, how can we raise the dead or, or calm the sea or walk on water or whatever? You're not saying that. You said greater things. Not copying me, but greater things. And so, God, what you have called these individuals, these men and women of God to do, that you would, Lord, empower them to take those next steps. For those that, that stood because they want to know you, Lord, that you know their hearts are ready. And I pray that, Lord, that as they just confess you and say, I believe in you, Jesus. I want you to be Lord of my life. The Lord, that you would take them and grow them to be the man and woman of God that you have called them out to be. Lord, take us deeper. Take us to places we've never been before as a church for your glory and for your honor. God, we're not, I know the, the leadership here is not looking for numbers. They're looking for depth. But as a result, we can't help to grow. This church can't help it. Because, Lord, of your greatness and the declaration of your goodness and the hope that you are in our lives. God, we love you so much. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. We love you and we honor you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Make us the men and women you need us to be. Take us further. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated, or I don't know if you have a next step. Uh, dismiss? That's it. Okay. Church, let's stand. I want to encourage you, if you stood up today, if you stood up for salvation, would you, would you talk to Eric, John, Dave, one of the elders here? Do not leave without saying, hey, here's what God put in my heart today. I want you to overwhelm them today. That'd be awesome. I want you to overwhelm the, the leaders of your church and say, this is what God put on my heart today. And just be quick, and you can meet with them another time, but let them know what God's doing in you. Be accountable to that. Don't let it go by the wayside, because God has great things as you step out in faith. Church, in the name of Jesus Christ, go make disciples. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless.